0: Welcome to Resident Advisor's Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Ryan Keeling, and I'm the editor at Resident Advisor. For many, Carl Craig is the finest electronic music artist Detroit has produced. So, starting out in the early 90s, he's amassed an immaculate discography that spanned myriad aliases and genres. Much of this music has arrived via Planet E, the label he's been carefully cultivating for over 20 years now. Craig released a string of impeccable remixes a few years back, which further fuelled his reputation as a specialist in the form, but he's been comparatively quiet on the production front since. This will be addressed next month with the release of Masterpiece for Ministry of Sound, a triple CD that will collect his influences, the music he's currently playing in clubs and a brand new collection of original material. It was on this subject that Joe Muggs began his conversation with Craig and the pair went on to discuss the Beatles, technology, modern pop music and the idea of the studio as an instrument of war.
1: Okay, before we delve into your heritage and your your place in the scheme of things, um, can we start with uh, the present moment, I guess. What's uh, what's summer 2013 hold for Carl Craig?
2: This year I play Glasnambury, first time.
1: That's exciting.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's that's, um, really interesting to do that. Uh, I wonder when Noel Gallagher come out and start ripping on me or something. <laughs> you better have your Oasis remixes ready, just <laughs> like uh, Jay-Z had. No, I'll wear an Oasis shirt with like tape crossing out Oasis. <laughs> 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 Call it Mirage instead. <laughs>
1: hey, are you familiar with all the mythology of Glastonbury? Are you kind of um, ready to get spiritual there? Uh,
2: I'm not going to be there long enough to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean... I actually I fly in drive down and play yeah and then I got an early flight the next day so we're still trying the logistical aspects of it actually the gigs I don't really get a, a lot of chance to spend on site I guess the uh, one that everyone talks about all the time which is um, burning man mm-hmm. which you know I don't I don't think it's even possible to go in and play and leave because it's so far out and yeah, and everything. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe, maybe when I have my epiphany, at some point, you know, then then I can can do it. But you know, a lot of it is is uh, related to seems like copious drug intake. Yeah. So, This is, this is the case? Yeah. I
1: mean, you you uh, you don't like to throw yourself into. 24 hours inside the club then?
2: Mm. No, not in the club, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's just like if you work at McDonald's and you want to stay there, you know, for 12 hours over your shift. I mean, you know.
1: Eating extra burgers.
2: Yeah, yeah well, eating extra, bur- sitting there like, you know, just eating the fries and working a cash register. Like, okay, you know. <laughs> Maybe R. Kelly likes doing that, but I don't I don't think that's the case.
1: And uh, what else is going on this summer? Uh,
2: well, I'm doing a compilation for Ministry of Sound. Uh, have you heard of it?
1: <laughs> this will be the the famous masterpiece
2: collection. The f- yeah, you've you've actually heard of it. Um, yeah, I'm doing compilation for Ministry of Sound. That seems to be quite uh, mystical right now because I'm still working on
1: it. <laughs> nice. Have you listened to the previous volumes in that cuz that's been a, a really serious series.
2: Yeah. So far. Um uh, I've listened to Giles's. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know who else has done it. Uh, Andrew Weatherall did. A oh, Weatherall. I really, I'd really love to hear that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and, and it seems to be that they throw themselves a bit more into this one than, than um, you know, a standard either retrospective or mix album. Right. It's, it's, it's something that's a bit of both and, and people treat with quite a bit of seriousness. Um, I mean,
2: a, a, what sort of approach are you taking to it? Uh, well, um, one that's considered a mixed CD is more current things uh, that I'm playing out in the club. The second one, which is the inspiration one, which which I really uh, I'm feeling a lot is, is, uh, tracks that, that have inspired me as well as tracks that, that, uh, that I like. Uh, so it includes, you know, some Motown things, which I never really talk about Motown, but mm-hmm. there's, there's like some real big influences from Motown. Um, you know, I've got a David Lynch track on there, which, which, uh, I really like what he's doing musically. I think it's, it's actually quite, quite incredible. Um, and then the the third one's more of a meditation kind of thing so, so it's um Old new age music but i'm i'm creating it so it's not of music from other artists it's like i'm creating something new for it
1: oh okay yeah. Yeah. i mean i guess it's been a while since we've heard anything less beat orientated from you yeah so is that a is that a pleasure in the studio? Or do you have to rewire your processes?
2: It's a it's a rewiring that's involved. Um, I uh, have really been getting into the technical side of things, um, especially because of all the possibilities with with computer programs. You know, you can get just so lost in the technical side of things, and and um, you know I I've always said that. Fucking around with plugins all day long you know you can just screw your mind up because you're getting getting so locked into that concept of what plugins can do and you know so I'm at a point where now it's like a scaling back of of the tech the technology because I found out uh, as much as I think that that I need to find out about it in order to go further create creatively
1: That's a very interesting point that I think a lot of people find themselves in techno and related music that, Mm -hmm. you know, techno was always forward looking. We must, you know, embrace the possibilities of the technology. Sure. And there came a point uh, where the technology just overtook and it became impossible to to deal with it all. But also the technology made everything so easy.
2: Sure. Uh, Yeah. And unfortunately, um the concept and in, in futurism, as far as techno is concerned, a lot of people were still stuck in the past in making their techno. So, you know, it ain't techno unless it's 808 and 909 and, you know, Mirage. And, and if it doesn't sound like a Derrick May record, it ain't techno kind of thing. Or if it doesn't sound like Juan Atkins is not techno. And that's really um, a stagnating point of view in relation to to what techno really is to me you of know of course
1: but the flip side of <clears throat> that is that um it has to have all the latest plugins and then everyone sounds the same because they sound like the plugin sure right? yeah 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 um,
2: and, you know francois k and i were talking about it um a couple of years back how you know everything that you can do now in in uh, logic or or pro tools or whatever i mean you wish you could do that 20 years ago when when i was starting and you know 20 25 years ago when he was mixing a lot of those big records you know it's it's like now a kid with the crack version of a of of a software can sound like uh you know like he's in a million dollar ssl studio you know and i mean that's cool on a technological aspect of it but it's kind of fucked up You know, it's really kind of fucked up. So,
1: so how do you navigate your way through that? I mean, how do you stop yourself from going? I'm gonna have all of these toys and you know, utilize every every possibility.
2: Oh yeah, I I I had to start selling stuff. (laughs) You know, because I have have a lot of hardware, and um, when you have hardware. Uh, especially before the plugins started being so common, you know, in order to have the right sound on, you know, a vocal as well as other instruments at the same time, you'd need four or five pieces of the same gear, you mm-hmm. know. And many times you want to have maybe a bit of a variety. So, like going to to the ice cream shop and you know you have chocolate and then you put vanilla on it and then you put some strawberry on top and then you know you put uh superman or whatever flavor on top so you have like five five different ice creams on top and really all you wanted was the fucking chocolate and the chocolate's on the bottom you know or mm-hmm. in the middle or something so you could end up having like all this freaking gear and you only really need you know one compressor the same compressor on everything. So plugins made it possible where you can have one of a specific type of plugin, and then you could put it on everything that you ever wanted to put it on. And instead of having the hardware stuff. So I had all these various flavors. So I just decided to purge myself, basically stick my finger down my throat and sell off all this stuff that I really didn't need. And then of course the other problem that you come into after you start getting rid of the gear is that you have replacements and plugins of it and you have about 10 different plugins that can do exactly the same job <laughs> except that they might have a little character difference or or something and that that's uh that's another thing which is like okay you know I'm just gonna cut out what I don't need you know and logic you could tell it not to see what you don't need or pull it out of the plugin folder or whatever so so you know it's it's just getting to that point. So there's almost a a bit of punk
1: rock attitude in the stripping away of the extraneous frills and unnecessary stuff.
2: I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. You know, I I love Throbbing Gristle and that industrial concept of what they did with guitars and tapes and stuff, but they were still a very technological band, especially when you look at Chris Carter and, you know, that he's a synth cat and stuff. So it's (laughs) like, yeah, you know, maybe I want to, you know, I just want a Les Paul and I just want the Les Paul to play drums and I want the Les Paul to be the bass line and I want the Les Paul to do all this kind of stuff. But, you know, no, I mean, that's not, that's not Throbbing Gristle to me. You know, it's it's not, it's like Chris Carter and the Gristleator, and, you know, all the other stuff that he was doing. I'm into that kind of thing. And even he's selling off gear now, you know, <laughs> so.
1: <laughs> Is there anyone that you're finding inspiration from in terms of... Uh sheer simplicity at the moment
2: um you know i don't know enough of his music i've listened to a little bit his actress he seems quite quite simple in what he does um another guy who who's really fucking simple is uh, tyler the creator Mm -hmm. yeah his his shit is super simple um you know i kind of i listen to a lot of radio these days and um one of the kids that, that I like, and I listen to, to quite a bit of lyrical rap shit, rap bullshit. And uh, I like this guy, Aesop Rocky. Mm-hmm. He's got this track called Level that uh, basically the music sounds like an urban tribe record. <laughs> yeah.
1: There's a lot of these guys where, where you know, they're surprisingly popular. The, the Odd Future guys, Tyler and, and yeah. his friends, and actually the music does sound like some kind of experimental thing from the 90s. Mm -hmm. Um, ASAP Rocky is... I mean, God, he's working with Skrillex. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. You've never um, been someone who seems to accept much divide between underground and what reaches the radio, though. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, is that still the case, that you kind of... You, you listen to them with the same set of ears, as it were.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I, uh, I grew up listening to the radio. Um, actually, sharar from Urban Tribe, we were talking about it the other day because he's retooling his album. And uh, a lot of his album was maybe more like his other moniker than Urban Tribe, you know, the higher BPM stuff maybe more electro sounding and I played on the Aesop Rocky track and he's like okay I got to do urban tribe like what what we did early in urban tribe so he retooled a lot of it and we were discussing uh we were discussing sounds and he's the guy who told me back in 1987-88 that the 808 was the future (laughs) <laughs> you know, and he was spot on because by that time the 808 was getting a you know everyone was was using more lindrum sounds. It was more realistic drum machine uh, samples that that or drum samples that were using drum machines. And then of course Luke and and all those guys that were still using 808. And then when Cash Money came out uh, with their whole the whole thing, uh, I mean it just really. Opened up the door for 808 across the board for trap music for for everything, and um, we were talking about it about sounds and how people still now have the idea that craftwork sounds are still futuristic, and you find people using these kind of craftwork sounds that are supposed to be futuristic sounds, but they sound dated. They sound like they're 30 years old because they are 30 years old, <laughs> you know. So then we got into the conversation about what we grew up listening to on radio because I listened to a lot of radio. And it was forward for us to hear um, soft sell, you know on the radio, human league on the radio, hearing Kraftwerk on the radio and all this stuff. And you know, in, in 1982, don't you want me baby to me? I mean, it was the shit. I, you know, I was 13 years old, you know, but it ain't the shit anymore. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like when I, when I hear people kind of dissing what's on the radio these days, actually there's a generation of kids that that shit is, cooler than hell you know and Mm -hmm. i mean me as being somebody who's been in the industry for a long time i can just kind of guide people but i can't make you have the taste that i want you to have because you know i'm you know i've been doing this for for a long time and you know what i do i try to be forward about it but the younger generation are the future and i should probably be listening to what they're opinions are musically, instead of trying to force my opinion on on the younger generation.
1: I'm sure. I mean, there are things that come on the radio now, whether it's Lady Gaga or Rick Ross, mm-hmm. that sonically, mm-hmm. you can understand how someone who's 15 now will listen to something that you or I would play them. And mm-hmm. it just sounds lame in comparison, because mm-hmm. this stuff is, is tooled like a, a war machine, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, there's a lot to learn from that. Yeah, you know, they may go back the same as we went back to, to Jazz Records or to Led Zeppelin sure. or whatever and find the sophistication of stuff from the past. But for now, that stuff that they hear mm-hmm. blows everything else out of the water.
2: Exactly. But what's great, I think, about Rick Ross's music, um, Rick Ross I think has a very high standard of sonic music sonically. So you might not like the actual music but the sonics of the music is is really incredible. And I started listening to Rick Ross's music as being more like an Earth, Wind & Fire record because it sounds like Earth, Wind & Fire to me, just with him rapping and talking shit and doing whatever he's doing, Mm-mm. but it sounds like Earth, Wind and & Fire. And, and I love that concept because Earth, Wind & Fire records were actually, you know, the war machine of 1976 you know 76 77 whatever because uh one of the most respected sound engineers engineered all their shit uh george massenberg and you know george massenberg makes some of the high high line most pure uh audio gear for mastering and for studio and you know so they were they were doing it the arrangements they had uh charles stepney that was involved uh, uh, up until he died, I guess. Um, so you know, he was the cat for arranging and co-production at the time. So yeah, they were they were the war machine. So now it's changed from the war machine being B fifty two bombers to being you know some stealth crazy shit, you know. And the stealth shit is as as you were saying earlier, you know. What we hear of, whether it's Gaga or whether it's uh, actually Gaga might be a little long in the tooth right now, but uh, it might be Will I Am with Britney Spears, you know, because my my nine year old loves that record. She goes nuts over that record, and you know, we had this dance, this da- daddy daughter dance, and you know, she played me music that she she goes dad, you know, she'll find something on YouTube, dad, listen to this, I really like this, right? And I'm glad that she does it. But then, when you see your nine year old at a dance with all the other girls that are their age, she's standing by the speaker. The guy has a sub and and a speaker on top on the stack. And they're pogoing, you know, just jumping up and down, going crazy, right? And then, when a song comes on that they love, it doesn't matter whether it's a girl song or a girl singing or a guy singing, they squeal. And they just get down, and it's incredible. It's really incredible to see that, and you know, it. I don't know if I was like that when I was nine years old, but you know, I, I was into it, and it's it's good to see. It's good to see it again. definitely so i'm not going to go over there and say don't test this record this record's crap
1: (laughs) (laughs) even if it's one direction yeah right
2: even if it's one direction i'll just do like my parents did and hey do you hear this no i was ignoring it
1: (laughs) (laughs) um and what about uh more well you know i say i say we kind of deconstruct the the split between underground and mainstream mm. um but what about more more experimental stuff i mean you know you look at someone like uh flying lotus who i was listening to recently and thinking yeah. actually he's kind of taken what inner zone orchestra and urban tribe in mm. the late 90s were doing and just uh complexified and made it bigger and bolder mm. um i mean are there particular artists that uh, you notice doing this kind of you know making those war
2: machines um as far as real music is concerned (laughs) (laughs) as far as music you want to listen to as far as music i want to listen to um you know i believe that i'm gonna have to have a new mentor i'm gonna have to have someone sit me down and play me a lot of music that that i don't get a chance to hear you know, so that I can discover music in in another way you know we i I need a John Peel, I need an electrifying mojo, you know in radio in Detroit now we don't have that, and I don't know if you have that here right now um I don't know if Benji's the guy or you know who's who's actually the the cat that's that's you know carrying the torch and really putting it all out. You know.
1: Yeah, Benji for sure and and you know Alex Nutt on Rinse FM and a few of the other kind of Rinse FM DJs. Mm-hmm. It seems to be that they each have their own. I mean, you know, there's there's still no one who, who crosses all the lines like John Peel did. Right. Um, I mean, when was the last time you felt that someone kind of turned your world upside down musically like that? Because I remember you saying about when you were kind of introduced to out jazz yeah. in the early mid 90s yeah um, that mean, was
2: francisco that turned me on to a lot of stuff yeah
1: mm-hmm. yeah um i mean has has have there been other points like that in your career where it's just uh you know someone's opened up a whole world
2: um you know i think it's been more on the technical side of things that, that i've been really paying more attention to mm-hmm. and i need some more openness openings on on the uh on the creative actual finished music side, you know, because like when I watch certain DJs, I get really uh, intrigued by their technique and their control, you know? So the technique and control has to do with uh, not only, you know, what music they're playing, but how they actually play it in their set. And then how they're able to play it for the crowd to respond to it. You know, so I get into into analyst mode in in relation to that where I I really and I've wanted to do these workshops in Detroit where it's like a set of, you know, B&W's or PMC's or whatever with some beautiful amps on a Macintosh or whatever amps, and, you know, just a beautiful thick platter, perfect tone arm, perfect. Uh, Mm -hmm. cartridge and just play, you know, records that are inspirational from, you know, people like Matt Mike, playing records that inspired him to people like um, Jimmy Douglas, Jimmy Douglas down in Miami, you know, because he started out working on Dan- Donny Hathaway, Hathaway and Aretha Franklin records. And now he's, you know, still mixing Timberland and Justin Timberlake and all this stuff. He was a mentor for Timberland, you know, to really let the young guys hear what these guys got influenced by, but then get the young guys to come on and play The stuff that really they're into and that influenced them, and just have that kind of, you know, sit down, almost like the cat. I don't know if you guys had this these commercials, but uh, Memorex tape, when they were doing cassette Mm -hmm. tapes, they had this ad, and they had a commercial of a guy sitting in front of a sound system, and the the wind from the low end is blowing his hair and his tie. I think that guy was
1: Peter Murphy from Bauhaus.
2: Was it okay? so you know this this kind of thing where you know you're really hearing everything with with sonic importance and with with uh, creative importance and stuff so that i can be influenced and inspired in the same way that hopefully you know the people that uh that i want to invite would have that same you know that, this is
1: a, a great idea and i mean it, i guess it keys into the idea of um you know listening clubs are. Mm-hmm increasingly a thing whether people actually go together into a nice pub with a good sound system and sit down and listen to an album all in one go or you get it online where people all log on to Twitter at the same time just sit down at home with a record and discuss it as it plays mm. um mm. It, it seems to be a, an idea that's time has come I guess mm-hmm. um you know do you find there are clubs more than others where you feel people are kind of listening because because clubbing as such began with maybe David Mancuso. Mm-hmm. And for him, it was his his house and his hi-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, and people listened to the record from beginning to end. And yes, there was dancing, but it was mm-hmm. a listening experience. I mean, are there still places that you go to or, or play where you find that there's an element of that?
2: Well, Plastic People is the ultimate for, for that kind of thing because, you know, you're still playing music for people to dance to but you can go out you know so last time i played there um i started out playing very low bpm stuff and one of the tracks that that played was a was considered a cover version of but i think it was still toto but that they just did it under a different name so that they could release it again, uh, but of Africa, but it's dubbed out with effects and shit on it. And I mean, it is out cold, this, this version. It goes into the typical Africa vocals and everything. Mm-hmm. But man, you know, the, the impact and the power of, of this, this track. And, you know, I felt that I could really play that there. Uh, The only other places that I I would think that I could play uh, something like that would be Precious Hall in Sapporo, which is like, you know, like The Loft. Actually, they built a, um, it's supposed to be a one-to-one version of The Loft in Sapporo with the exact same sound system. David Mancuso came over and approved it. And, you know, so they have the Thorin's decks. They have, you know, whatever Bozak mixer. They have uh the the um the speakers what were they called um a clipshorn they have mm-hmm. the clipshorns they have you know across the board they they did it you know so and then the other one would be eleven in Tokyo as well, which which is like that and Panorama bar I feel that I can get away with mm-hmm. a lot of stuff, but you know, it I don't think that it's as um as possible to get away with playing things that can be like on the edge of corny. But that's just, you know, sonically there and that people would actually get it when you play it, you know.
1: Um, I guess that's the uh, the old Balearic trick. I mean, like DJ Harvey Mm -hmm. was always the king of uh, being able to do that. Mm -hmm. There there were records that Harvey could play Mm -hmm. in anyone else's hands. Mm -hmm. People are just like, what is that?
2: Right, right.
1: Um, Do you find yourself craving the chance to do that more now? You know, um, does, does, does playing four to the floor kind of pull with you? Or do you have periods of getting tired of four to the floor music? Or
2: um, it... No, I mean, four to the floor is just almost like a heartbeat to me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think creatively, uh, I might get a little self-conscious in relation in relation to that um i still love other music uh but i think it has with the variety it might have more to do with bpm than it does to actual um uh the impact of of the kick drum because you know i'm, I'm you talked to uh, niles Nile rogers recently right or no you haven't talked you haven't done anything with Nile because niles like out there now right yeah and um you know, this is a guy who has made a career on funk music, but that was typecast as disco, mm-hmm. you know. But what he was making was, you know, real fucking music. And his, his musical um, experiences are in a similar way as, say, somebody like uh, Hamilton Bohannon you know, whose biggest records were all four-to-floor records, he just changed the tempo. So um, Let's Start the Dance, which was quite up-tempo. I think it might have been 128 BPM. Actually sounds exactly like South African Man, which is about 110 BPM. Pretty much the same record. He just changed the BPM. And you don't hear it as being the same record because you have more space in between the notes or more space in between the beats on South African Man because it's a lower tempo. So it gives a a little bit more air. And in some cases, you can hear the air as being a musical thing that makes you think that something's actually different than what it actually is
1: this is something i i wrote quite a bit about in the last year or two um because there's just been so many people bringing tempos down of mm-hmm. different styles uh, andy weatherall is one example and andy Stott. i don't know if you heard any of his stuff on modern love he's a mancunian guy just you know his standard thing was kind of warehouse techno very mm-hmm. bassy sophisticated warehouse techno and then his last couple of albums he just brought it down and down and down and sometimes mm-hmm. it's techno at 90 bpm sure yeah and suddenly you're inside it you mm-hmm. know your relationship your physical relationship to the rhythm is is another thing altogether
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah because this is this is similar to um the perception that i get in the studio when i'm working on on a loop if something's looping Whether it's two-bar loop or or two-beat loop or four-beat loop or whatever, and it's looping and it's just looping, looping, looping. Sometimes you walk into that world and then you hear other shit, and then that other shit inspires you, and that's what happens when you change the BPM. And then you might, in a club, it can be kind of risky because you know, the, the guy on before you might be playing at 127 or 125 or whatever, and then you walk in and decide to do, you know, 118, you know, you gotta be willing to let more than 50% of the people leave the dance floor and potentially 50% of those 50% will actually leave the fucking Mm -hmm. club, you know, but you have to, you have to take that risk for the cause you know, if you're going for that cause.
1: I think it was Derek Carter who uh, said that any halfway good DJ can fill a dance floor. It Mm -hmm. takes a great DJ to empty it and then fill it again. Uh,
2: Man, (laughs) that that guy is a philosopher. He's a genius. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you you do have to, you have to take the risks, you know, and if you don't take the risks, you're going to end up... um, losing yourself you know and that's that's what happens with a lot of uh a lot of bands that and producers and whatever that just keep trying to make the same record over and over again is you know after a while people get it and then after that people don't want to get it anymore. (laughs) You know, so maybe you'll have to wait another 20 years to have a comeback or something, you know, in comparison to kind of change around. And this is why I like the Rolling Stones, because the Stones, they actually fucked around a bit, you know, and when they did disco, they weren't corny about it. They, you know, did. I mean, they got Arthur
1: Baker in, I mean, just...
2: did they get Arthur? what did they get Arthur? Yeah. On?
1: Um, uh, Blood, what's the track? just sounds like um, Streets Like Blood. No, I can't remember. It was it was after Undercover of the, of the Night, the track after that. Okay. Something Blood. I, I'm yeah, so bad with titles. It's not
2: Blood on Dance Floor, is it? It's, I think that was a Michael Jackson song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah I, okay.
1: Yeah, they, they were with the right people. I mean, they yeah. were in Studio 54. And, right, you know.
2: right. Because I'm thinking of um, Missing You. Yeah. You know, which was Bob Mountain who engineered that. And you know, I'd still use that record as a reference because sonically, the kick drum is fucking incredible. The kick and the bass lock in so well. And it's, it's just incredible. But when I was a kid, I used to like start me up and I was the other side of the, mm-hmm. of the 12 inch, you know? So, you know, you could hear that they weren't making satisfaction, You know, at that time, they had stopped making Satisfaction back in 1967 or whenever that record came out, you know, and then when they did Sympathy for the Devil, you know, that uh, was another transition. And then they just kept these transitions and that made them, I think, you know, the greatest band that's alive. And then, of course, you look at the Beatles and the Beatles had the same type of, of uh changes except per album they fucking seemed like they were just changing you know there was never eleanor rigby part two no 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 you know
1: talking of that kind of um you know when a new track sounds like a war machine in comparison to everything that's come before um i remember uh danny baker i don't know if you're familiar with him he's a radio dj here Mm. playing on the radio i think i think he'd had someone on who was saying the Beatles were not that significant or something. And just Mm -hmm. to demonstrate their achievement, I think he played Please Please Me and then played I Am The Walrus next to it and went, the gap between those is three years or something. Mm -hmm. And yet they had transformed from Mm -hmm. something that was great into something that was monumental and strange and even now still sounds Mm -hmm. um, ridiculous. And that was because they just wanted to experiment with sound.
2: Right, sure. And I think the first first track, I think they they actually had the most experiment with sound was uh, Tomorrow Never Knows. Because mm-hmm. I don't know any other Beatles song before that that was as out. And that's still one of my favorite, you know. That and Come Together are the two tracks that, that I really feel, you know, they just really, it's it's like, you know, that that mind explosion that happens, you know. It's just like, what? How the fuck did you come up with this? You know, what, 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 you know, I mean, I've, I've had people come up to me and ask, you know, that track, you did that track. What did you, what, what the fuck were you thinking of when you did that track? You know, I want to, I want to ask, I want to like, you know, go to a seance and ask John Lennon, you know, (laughs) what the fuck was he thinking? (laughs) You know,
1: (laughs) Well, it was, it was it was Paul that was into all the Karl-Heinz Stockhausen and sure. know, the loops and all this it's stuff. But um, uh, did do you ever kind of take stock? And, and I mean, obviously you had the Planet E 20 years. Um, was that a period where you kind of assessed different periods of what you'd done and and uh, got a, pic- a big picture of your past? Or do you just not like to do that on the whole? Um,
2: you know, I I do go back and reference music every so often. I used to do it a lot more, especially when it came down to dats because you know, you just I used to keep these dats on my dats in a little safe and it's like, "Okay, well, what am I going to release now?" and I'll go back and listen to something and, "Okay, I did this like 5 years ago. What the fuck was I thinking of when I did this thing?" you know? And I do have that that those points where I kind of like past Carl was trying to to uh, to influence future Carl kind of thing you know it's like like I had a time machine and I went forward and said this is what's, what's going to happen you know so you got to do this or you know or or forward Carl went back to past or however the time machine oh it's thing like worked Doctor Who
1: leaving little notes on the hieroglyphs in the pyramids oh, uh, my uh, goodness. when you go on holiday you see a note you left for yourself there oh, you so.
2: go so those are definitely like freaking notes you know and it was it was really quite incredible. Um to to go back and and have have those uh experiences. And then also with the twenty years listening to stuff that other people had done, you know, that I hadn't heard in quite a while. So it's good. It's good.
1: Cool. And uh <clears throat> finally, I mean, are you planning ahead at the moment or is it kind of do the summer shows, do your do the masterpiece and then look for the next thing?
2: Oh, uh, it's been preparation for the war machine. <laughs> so um, all the technical stuff that I was talking about earlier is preparation for the creative stuff, you mm-hmm. know? Because you can be ultra creative, but then not be prepared, you know? It's like going to war with with, uh, with major artillery, but no, no actual bullets, you know? You can go in with a Uzi, but you don't have any magazines you know so it's it's just it's like you got to get all the destructive the little destructive shit to come together in order to you know to to make that creative thing effective enough so if i don't like how i'm EQing something then it can completely ruin the concept of of what what i'm uh interested in doing you know And what I'm interested in doing is not only making timeless music, but that I can uh, get as close to sonic perfection as my ability will, will let me.